Game Faces! Let's go. Hey! Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is April 1st, 2022. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. From Jakarta, I'm Andrew Nazri. And from Manila, I'm Sam Beltran. Hello, Andra. So, Hola, quick Sam. question. <laughs> you sound like the, the cartoon character in Roadrunner. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. So, I've got a quick question for you. How far would you go to defend your wife's honor? So, I can't really think of a, like, a great example except for, say, what if a comedian cracked a joke? on stage like a very public joke about your wife and she mm-hmm. wasn't so pleased about it mm. is my wife jada pinkett smith mm. yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> well you know since she's absolutely banging i probably would overreact <laughs> i probably would overreact and um go up on stage and beat the living shit out of uh, the comedian Oh, Richard! <laughs> oh, wow! Wow! Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude! Yes. It was a GI Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to. Okay. No, actually, I would, I would actually wait until the show was over. And you know, since I happen to personally, personally know the comedian in this weird scenario, um, I would uh, talk with him backstage with my wife, and you know, just talk it out. And if he continues to say shit about my wife's uh, beautiful lack of hair, I would probably beat the shit out of him then because I'm bigger. Oh, so th- so so then that's when it's it's justified. After you yeah. cut the talk. Yeah, huh. actually, no, not even. Not even. Like, come on. I'd probably just <laughs> cut ties with I'd cut ties with him. Violence is never the answer. I mean, there are like there have exactly. been millions, millions of takes, right? From from this whole incident, uh, Will Smith versus Chris Rock. By when I say millions, I mean I meant like a, a million people saying like two or three of the same things. But you know, the main <laughs> takeaway is, you know, violence is never the answer. So yeah, I'd probably just Cut him out of my life. Cancel him. Yeah, dude. Big X. Like, absolutely. Like, I know that there are moments when you can't help but see red. But again, like, it's it's what you said. Like, it should never get the better of you. Like, it's never supposed to be your first instinct. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Definitely should have been a conversation that took place backstage instead of the (laughs) whole world with international cameras covering the entire thing. Exactly. Until, of course, somebody actually physically hurts my family you know like my wife or my kid i would kill them no yeah i i would have just you know taken him backstage and just be like hey that wasn't a very cool thing to do what's up with that why'd you do that i mean like like i said there isn't anything that couldn't be resolved with a with a conversation no matter how Mm. ugly or difficult Mm. that's yeah Hollywood royalty. Am I right? They can do whatever they want. Am I right? Yeah. I know. And he won the Oscar like not long after. So yeah, that's that's Hollywood for you. From a man painting artwork with his teepee to alien worshippers in Bangkok, Coconuts TV brings you wacky and impactful documentaries from across the region. Don't miss out. Head down to our Coconuts TV YouTube channel to subscribe and enjoy. So first in Coco Land, Andra, here in Manila, you know, okay, so I'm pretty sure you're a solid dude, okay? Like, I can vouch for how solid you are. So I'm not even going to cast any doubt or aspersions towards your integrity in your marriage. My loyalty? <laughs> exactly, your faith and your loyalty as a, as a, as a loving husband. But Thank you. Yeah, here in Manila, I guess there is like, this woman who kind of serves as a cautionary tale for all the other gents and spouses in general who might decide to turn another eye towards women or men. So this Mm -hmm. woman, so she's definitely a woman scorned. Uh, She basically sold her cheating husband's items on Facebook Live. Guys, 
Nasa na tayo dito? How much? 520k Shara Bulong. How many minutes na lang? How many seconds? One minute. Okay, wala na siguro. Magka-count na ako ng 10. 10, 9, 10, 9, 11. Sige, next code sa karat. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Sir, Ma'am Shara Bulong, yours na ang t-shirt ng babaero. Sorry, I'm pretty sure live selling is the thing in Indonesia as well, right? Because it's, it's, it's a huge yeah, thing yeah. here. Like, you have people sharing live streams all the time bidding on sorts on all sorts of items so this woman she basically got payback tinder swindler style i'm not sure if you've seen the documentary so after her have, live yeah. selling of her yeah of, like after the live selling of her husband's possessions including some treasured items such as sneakers basketball caps and other designer footwear caught the attention of people so this woman, her name is Jamil Margarita Galvez. She basically became a live selling star overnight after her live stream bidding off of her husband's items, who apparently left her for his side piece, was shared over 28,000 times. Yeah, so she called. I know, right? Like, exactly, exactly. Hey, I gotta ask you, Ben. Um, you know, so she did this over a couple of days, right? Um, mm -hmm. So how much did she make? out of her husband's prized possessions. Ooh, so interestingly, she said on social media that she had already earned about 300,000 pesos. That's a little less than $6,000 or 5,778 US dollars to be exact from selling off of her excess stuff. Hmm. So good on her for being so enterprising. That's really not bad. And I mean, if you've seen the stuff that she sold, like she sold a bunch of Lacoste shirts, she sold a bunch of Yeezys, which the guy had pretty much a lot of. And I mean, she he had a lot of basketball snapbacks. Like, I mean, you could tell he's like a real, you know, like he's he's got that whole fuckboy um, <laughs> sneakerhead yeah. starter pack going on. And I mean, she even goes to say, oh, I promise you, everything is in good condition, original, no fakes. It's just the husband who's crooked as she pedals <laughs> them. And then, of course, just, you know, throws a little bit of shade to him and just goes oh everybody you gotta buy at your own risk because these items are cursed they will turn your boyfriend or husband into a certified cheater and the moment they wear mm. it they immediately become fuck boys with a bonus gambling addiction yeah she really oh, wow. did not hold back yeah and one of the shoes interestingly that, that she sold off was a pair of i'm not sure if you heard of it but it's the adidas x pharrell williams human race nmd breathe walk sneakers which would set you back a cool 400 USD. And get this, this was a gift from the mistress. So, yeah, Ooh. she was pretty badass. Would you, yeah. I but, mean, I, I wouldn't know if you're, if he's you're a, a child, sneakerhead though. or not, but yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm like, not, I, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a sneakerhead. I mean, why spend so much on things that you step on? But yeah, I mean, um, right. And Tinder, no, I mean, and we Tinder will get Swindler. a lot of hate for that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. sure. But in Tinder Swindler, like, my favorite part was the when that woman finally sold off his, his luxury goods. Right. I mean, it, like, finally, this guy had got some retribution, you know? Exactly. Like, fucking finally. That, that was so satisfying. No, exactly. And, I mean, I, I guess it's never, like, to the point, like, she got scammed or whatever. I mean, this woman in, in, in question but I mean that definitely has to really suck, you know you sharing a life together having like you know having kids together and then he just walking out like that I mean I definitely I do think that selling off of his items wouldn't probably heal the wound that has been left but I mean it's it's pretty good you know it's pretty good payback 300,000 yeah. pesos I mean, a little less than six thousand dollars. You know, that's yeah. that doesn't come cheap. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I love how boy. exactly, and I love how upbeat she is about the whole thing. Like, if if you've seen some of the stuff that she's, I mean, if you watched the video, you could definitely see that this is not a woman who's bogged down who or who's letting her circumstances define her. She's being like, she's owning this fucking breakup. So yeah, and then she she goes to say things like, oh, you know, none of these items are worn out, only his mistress is. So like really, oh. <laughs> really spicy stuff. But yeah. Well said. Uh, yeah. Well said. Go, Jamil. And yeah, I guess there's more to come from the husband's closet.
judging from the, <laughs> from the video. So I guess that's definitely something to watch out. So, okay, from a story about a woman feeling empowered, we go to one about, I guess, the exact opposite, repression. Because in Indonesia, police have arrested a woman for selling, you know, sultry, I guess I would, I would classify them actually as pornographic content featuring herself on OnlyFans. Mm. So this has become Indonesia's biggest um, sex scandal of 2022 so far. And it involves an OnlyFans model by who who goes by the handle Grisades. Okay. She's re- she's recently kind of skyrocketed in fame, right? Um, she's been doing OnlyFans for for a while, like really, really, really graphic videos. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but then recently, she appeared in one of the most popular podcasts in the country, and that wow. really catapulted her fame even further. But Obviously, that got the attention of the police. And, you know, in Indonesia, we do have very, very strict anti-pornography laws. So she was arrested um, and has been charged with uh, dissemination of pornographic material online, which could see her in prison for up to six years. Whoa. Yeah. Just so, for showing but, her coochie. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, but she she did way more than that. Um, okay. And it was, it, it's a shame because, you know, this is, it was all, uh, obviously, she wanted to do this, you know, like, we like to see sex work, uh, like consensual sex work in a positive light. And this was uh, one such case, although the whole time we were kind of worried about what could happen to her. And I guess the worst case scenario did come true for her. Um, yeah. But the police aren't stopping there, um, you know, because it does take two to tango, right, to make a sex tape. So uh, there is this uh, there's this guy. They say they've identified a man who has regularly featured in her um, sex videos. We don't exactly know what his relationship with her is, but police are also in pursuit of that man. But until recording time, they have not arrested him yet. But if they do, you'll probably get charged with the same um, violation of anti-pornography laws. I'm curious, though, because you say that she is rather popular. Like, would you say she's like mainstream popular? Like, I'm not sure if if you've heard of her. Um, Yeah. What like what is the magnitude of her of her? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess when she was just uh, doing OnlyFans, like kind of under the radar, nobody really knew her. And then she did that podcast, right? Yeah. Which was watched by millions and listened to by millions. This is the Joe Rogan of Indonesia. No, like no hyperbole. And uh, she was very open about what she did in that interview. And yeah, a lot of us who were worried about her well-being, her safety... Yeah, in the end, she got arrested, and that's a big shame. So, of can I ask not... you? Yeah, go on. Yeah, from from Indonesia, like since you're from Jakarta, what is your take on the whole um, OnlyFans thing, and what is your take on what she did? Why she appeared on the podcast? Like, was she trying to defy certain expectations? Like, yeah, what's what's your what's your take on the whole? Thing? Um, in regards to OnlyFans in Indonesia, I think you'd have to be crazy to um, show your face and reveal your whole identity in your content. Right. Even though I, I, would, I would love to support, as I said, um, sex work in a positive light, you know. Um, as for um, Grisades, I have no idea why she, uh, she was so brazen. She, was, she, dared, yeah. she dared to go on that, on that podcast. Like, it was pretty obvious that this was going to happen. Like, I don't want to blame her. I think there is an element of her wanting to be um, see a little a little bit more of a progressive Indonesia, um, sure. but with existing laws in place, it's just a huge risk, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, sex work in itself—it's such a—it's such a complicated discussion, and you know, like something—it's—it's it's an entirely other conversation to be had entirely. But ultimately, mm. it doesn't get solved by oppressive laws. Like at the end of the day. However, take you have on it, whether it's exploitative or empowering, it should be towards the protection of people who do engage in this. I think so. Yep. Yeah, that really, really sucks for her. I mean, yeah, she seems to be happy doing it, and I think she her does, fans yeah. are more than happy paying to see more of her content. So 
I mean, in, in that scenario, it's really hard to see what, what she's been doing wrong, right? Yeah, she hasn't been hurting anybody. But you know, that's the thing with our with our laws here. I mean, she she's not the first to be arrested um, for such content, adult content. We had all, uh, Indonesia also had a, ma- a pretty major OnlyFans uh, model arrested in December 2021. But she she had for been sure. going around for like she's been doing it for years. But uh, funny funny enough, she got arrested after she uh, uploaded an exhibitionism video, which was taken oh. at a at an airport. <laughs> So then authorities are like, how dare, how dare she defile our airport? And um, yeah. Right, right. Absolutely. I guess that's the kind of thing that really pushes stuff over the edge. Yeah, sadly. So from getting arrested over porn in Jakarta, we moved to Hong Kong where a man unfortunately got punched and kicked over 30 times in Hong Kong. And bystanders just happened to look on and didn't help the poor man. So yeah, so a video... Showing a man being punched and kicked over 30 times has gone viral, with netizens slamming bystanders for not intervening. So in the 2.5 minute long clip, two men in black can be seen hitting and hurling expletives at the victim, who was also in black, outside a Korean supermarket along Tung Choi Street. So after about 50 seconds into the video, you see the attackers wanting to leave, but the victim stopped them. And then that's when the assaulter struck his head and stomach. So he called on, um, the victim called on the bystanders to stop the attackers from leaving. But, you know, unfortunately, the people who had been there to just spectate the entire thing could be seen just looking on or filming with their smartphones, which is... That's a shitty thing to do, guys. Uh, mm. Yeah, so yeah, one did call out the assaulters, but retreated after he was told off by the attackers. And the supermarket also shut its door after about two minutes. So according to local media, the victim was queuing up for drinks with his family outside a shop when the incident happened. And reports said that his four-year-old daughter accidentally bumped into the attackers, who then punched and kicked the victim. Wow. Uh, yeah, so the victim suffered injuries to the forehead, neck, and leg. So he's about 33 years old, and the suspects are believed to be about 30 to 40 years old as well. What uh, is it that so you yeah, like so to say um, about you- these as attackers? Right. Small dick energy. Exactly. Dude, small dick <laughs> energy. And, and look at what they got wild up for. They got riled up over a four-year-old girl bumping into them. And because obvi, they would be like, you know, beta, beta energy to hit mm. the four-year-old girl. They decide to go for the dad instead. Like, that's fucking stupid. Guys, yeah. you don't do that. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so... pretty sad. The whole bystander is not doing anything is pretty sad because I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for bystanders coming to my aid and one very dark night uh, when I was in college. So long story short, I was at a club, standing by the bar, and then this guy comes up to me accusing accusing me of eyeing his girl. I was not, for the record. And him and like five other guys, his friends, jumped me and started punching the hell out of me and kicking me while I was on, down on the floor. And then like oh a few God. big dudes who were not bouncers, they were just really, they were just heroes in my eyes. I'm going to tear up. Um, yeah, they, they, they helped me and um, they kind of shooed away my attackers and helped me up. And yeah, I mean, if, 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 if it wasn't for them, I, I probably wouldn't be here. I still have, I still have scars, like physical scars. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But good on you for having angel you know, angel, good Samaritan strangers helping you out. Mm. But, you know, it really is sad to see, like, what have we really gone to, like, when your first instinct is to pull out a smartphone instead of calling out for authorities or, you know, just trying to call out for help if you couldn't physically intervene. I mean, I probably couldn't, but yeah, I mean, that would Yeah, but there were so many of them. They could easily have overpowered. Like, the little things you do, the little things you do make a difference. No, and I know, and there is that, like in the story, there was that one person who tried to call out the attackers, but because he didn't have the support of anybody else, 
of course he got scared off easily by yeah. by by the perpetrators. Yeah. yeah, that's really sad. But oh, hopefully this guy's okay. Yeah, hopefully he is. Um, yeah, he's uh, he refused to be sent to the hospital. So I guess that's one thing he probably felt like he could manage his injuries at home. That's good to hear. Okay, from one viral video, we go to another. This time in Bali, where oh, bystanders this time were pretty shocked to find this dude completely butt naked um, wow. riding his motorbike. Please go to the to Coconuts Bali to um, see that a uh, screenshot of that video if you must. <laughs> But yeah, they were stopped at a traffic light. This dude just kind of, the video shows this dude just kind of rolling in, waiting among the cars <laughs> and the trucks. And I then love when it. the light just went green. Just another Monday. Yeah. And when the light went green, he just went about his way. Okay. So <laughs> what else? Like, I have so many questions. Why? Why was he on a motorbike? And why was he butt naked? Okay. This is actually a pretty distressing story. It's pretty sad. So it, okay. uh, the man has been identified as a 43-year-old man who holds the rank of second sub-inspector at the Bulelang po- Police Precinct. Yes, mm-hmm. he's a cop. So after um, you know, uh, reporters asked the, the precinct about this, it turned out that this man had previously undergone mental health treatment at a mental health institution in 2016 and 2021. He was suffering from depression, but they ruled that he was still able to work. So he, he's been in and out of mental in, mental the mental institution. But obviously, he relapsed again this week. And um, yeah, just went to work naked, which is, yeah, so, really sad. So he knew that he had to go to work, and but just showed up naked then yeah it's like that dream you know that nightmare of you know showing up to work naked or you know when you're a kid showing up to school naked but he only it happens in real life yeah Yeah, so um he he's yeah he remains active as a cop but after this video he's been brought back to the menstrual institution to receive treatment and i wish him all the best um i hope uh i hope he recovers from this Absolutely. I really hope that he gets the treatment that he really needs. Oh, yeah. That's so sad. So from naked guy to vaping. So in Thailand, they said that they will not lift the ban on vaping, citing a health threat. So importing and selling e-cigarettes in Thailand will remain illegal, despite their pervasive use in the country, after the health ministry advised against lifting the ban. The continued ban on all types of electronic cigarettes used for vaping will help protect non-smokers from health hazards. That's what their health ministry secretary said at a meeting of the government's tobacco board. Uh, They also said that it was necessary to deter young smokers from adopting the habit. Yeah, so the committee went a step further and submitted a resolution to the cabinet urging stricter regulation of tobacco use. But despite being illegal, many smokers obviously continue to vape in public and commercial products are widely available online and in specialized shops due to lax enforcement, which makes me think, what? Yeah, so... Mm. Can I just <laughs> yeah, say it? They're about, okay, say it. You know how, you, you know how va- right. vapors are like, yeah, it's fun. This isn't smoke. This is vapor. <laughs> It's, it's steam. <laughs> well, fuck you. <laughs> like, seriously, just fuck off. Like, this is, in a way, vaping is more pervasive than than uh, regular smoke. And in, in, in so much oh, as God, there's yeah. way more, quote unquote, smoke, you know, that they puff out. It's just so Absolutely. annoying. And in that the early really days. That pisses me off. Yeah. In the early days of vaping, when the when the regulations weren't so clear yet. They would do it inside fucking shopping malls and basically no, indoors. Exactly. Oh, and inside annoying. restaurants. Yes. No. And Fuck they're like, off. what are you pissed off? Like, what are you pissed off about? My smoke smells like bubblegum. I'm like, I don't care if your smoke smells like bubblegum. I don't want it on my pasta. Take it out. Like, oh, that's Yes, so, it's that's been so in your annoying. filthy lungs and your filthy mouth. 
you fucking filth. Exactly. God, you're fucking you're spreading them. bacteria and germs. And yeah, I really hate how just the smoke just gets everywhere. I mean, I'm not saying that like cigarettes are are a lesser evil in that sense. I mean, obviously not. But at least the smoke doesn't like get all up in there. Unlike vaping where it's just, you know, it's just this cloud of mist just puffing all over the room. Yeah. I share yeah. your sentiments there, bud. Yeah. Good on anyway. Thailand for keeping a tight leash on this. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hope they I hope they actually do enforce it. Well. For sure. Okay, so um, it's 2022, and we're still talking about whether or not masks should be worn. And that's specifically in Singapore, where they just lifted their booze ban. But masks are uh, remain optional. So Prime Minister Lee Hsien Long announced that most of the ever-changing public health restrictions will be relaxed. Uh, allowing larger gatherings and late-night boozings from next week onwards. And to quote him, this has been a tough fight. With each new wave, we had to move quickly and adapt. Every time we thought we had the pandemic under control, the virus surprised us. I hope, you know, I hope he didn't just tempt fate with that. And next week, we'll have a fucking new variant. I know. Yeah, but I mean, I trust that, you know, Singapore more or less has relatively got its shit together but that's just i don't know like i still feel like i'm not sure if it's the same uh with you guys but there was a time in the philippines where we had this inane rule about how you had to wear acrylic face shields on top of face masks despite Mm -hmm. the fact that it wasn't scientifically proven to add further protection uh but yeah so they have since decided to take that out so now we just go to malls or wherever in masks but still sometimes i just feel naked you know what i mean yeah. it's it's like you could never yeah. be too protected yeah yeah absolutely yeah same here um you don't know just protect myself from the idiots you know remember remember back uh, early in the covid days they had that they coined that term covid idiots there's they're still COVID idiots yeah oh, they're still around so yeah. Guys, but anyway, in in Singapore, okay, just to briefly outline some of the re- relaxed restrictions, group gatherings will be up from five to ten, and they'll be allowed to dine in at dine in at eateries, including hawker centers and coffee shops. The ban on sale and consumption consumption of alcohol after ten thirty p.m. at F and B outlets will be lifted, but. Where wearing masks will be optional only outdoors, as the risk of transmission is significantly lower than indoors. So yeah, there you go. Singapore kind of uh, relaxed about it now with Omicron. Um, yeah, best of luck to you guys. I hope way. it doesn't uh, turn out badly. <laughs> <laughs> So over to Myanmar, uh, deposed Myanmar State Councillor Ong San Suu Kyi was in quarantine after those under house arrest with her tested positive for the coronavirus, according to reports. So Mitsima News said that as a precaution, the Nobel laureate did not appear in court this for one in a series of trials on charges trumped up by the military since its staged a coup d'etat in February 2021. And although Suu Kyi has tested negative for the virus, she will, of course, spend a few days in isolation for her safety. And she's already been sentenced to a total of six years in jail since trials on various crimes began last year. But the ousted president, Win Mint, did appear in court via video. Uh, oh, yeah. So, hope she's okay. Yeah. So, she's, yeah. yeah. She's by no means a perfect leader, but, you know, I hope she's okay. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, this junta thing in, in, in Myanmar, uh, it's getting ridiculous really and you know having trumped up charges it's really just an attack on on you know democratic institutions in in general we're extremely honored to have with us constant singham one of Singapore's most beloved figures in the country's civil activism movement. Thank you very much for that introduction. <laughs> All right, well, I think it's my so longevity <laughs> that has given me this prominence, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
but I've been there a long time. I'm sure that you've been influential. Yes, but thank you so much for taking time out of your undoubtedly busy schedule to chat with the Coconuts Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be able to talk across spaces. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, uh, ma'am, you're practically synonymous with AWARE, which... Um, is Singapore's leading gender equality advocacy group. So for listeners outside of Singapore, including myself and Sam here, can you tell us about the significance of AWARE? There's more than the fact that they are the only feminist organization in Singapore. And it was founded at a time when civil society activism was silenced. I think for over almost 20 years, there were no civil society activism after the independence and when a lot of activists were silenced by by the state then. So when AWARE came to the scene, they were the first organizations to do that after that um, silent period of activism. And secondly, too, AWARE was the first organizations to do real advocacy work. And that was hard because uh, the state was not in favor of advocacy. But the state was at that time bringing in policies that limited, um, that was directly aimed at women's fertility rate. Mm. And um, so one of the one of the policies was to give more privileges to women with who are graduate. They were called the graduate mother scheme and uh, and uh, make it difficult for other women to have children. So there were draconian measures to limit um, the number of children women could have, which so which brought aware into prominence for several reasons. One is to advo- advocacy. Two, at a time when civil society was had been silenced for for some twenty years. Three, because we were raising, we were first organization which challenged public policies. Mm. Yeah, so that makes aware yeah stand out right in a space which had been quiet. Yeah, you know, Mm-mm. absolutely. So I wanted to ask, with all the strides that you've mentioned that aware has achieved over the years, what were the biggest challenges uh, that uh, you faced at aware and activism in Singapore in general? You know, I don't think you know you. You're Southeast Asian, so you know our governments are not not very particularly fond of civil society activism and advocacy work. So that that is the biggest challenge, you know. Two, also for us, because activism was a bad word, demonized then, and people were also uncomfortable. People were uncomfortable. One thing with activism, two, advocacy work, three. With, uh, with women's uh, issues, feminist issues. So that made it very difficult, um, a big challenge for us to even... But one of the things, one of the things that, that happened then, because we were new, because we were women, because we were dealing with women's issues, we did get a lot of um, media attention. You know how it is, your media people, professionals, you know that. Uh, somebody is new and doing different things, you very quickly attract attention. And we did, you know. But also it was a gen- different generation of uh, statesmen. The, the, uh, the founding members of Singapore were familiar with. They were more, I think in a way, they were more open-minded for wider issues. Um, political, politics itself, they were not very open. They were oppressive in terms of, of a political opposition. But women's issues, they were more open. And it was an interesting period to, <laughs> to have to educate men. You know, it's a different generation. They were my generation <laughs> or even older. <laughs> right. Well, I guess this brings me... So it was that sense, that, it was difficult. Uh, that brings me nicely to my next question, which would be, where would you say Singapore stands now in terms of gender equality, which is obviously your main field? Well, we were fortunate. I think Singapore was fortunate. One thing that uh, because we didn't have natural resources, in the time we, were, we separated from Malaysia, the government had to depend on Singapore's workforce, which meant more women could enter the workforce. They needed 
women in the workforce. Two, we had also for political reasons, the women's charter. Women had mobilized themselves to ban polygamy. And that brought in the women's charter, which gave men and women rights within marriage. And over the years, the women's charter has been reviewed. And, um, and now we have uh, some protection against domestic violence. For instance, domestic violence was recognized and the protection for the victims. So that's one which we have an advantage of. And then again, that was in 1961. And again, in uh, Four years later, they promised equal work, equal pay for equal work in the public sector. That too gave equality, gender equality to, you know, if you do equal work, you are entitled to equal pay. So those are the advantages that Singapore women won at its very early stages of the independence. And of course, also, you know very well, nationalism involved women. And so you had citizenship rights and, and voting rights from the very beginning of independence. So governments needed women's votes. Right. And so we have the advantage of that too. Yeah. So having said that, would you, uh, since you've been in the activism space for decades, would you say that there are differences between civil activism in Singapore then and now? And would you call these differences improvements? Improvement in the sense we are having more younger people, better educated, uh, more experience outside of Singapore. They have experience of democracy. They would have been educated outside of Singapore. They would have experience living outside of Singapore. So they're far more articulate. And they are the activists. I mean, when we started, we were all in our 40s and 50s, you know. But now you're getting young people straight out of university becoming activists and um, advocating for issues relating to the environment, etc. The issues are much wider now, you know. And uh, poverty, for instance. Uh, then uh, there's the death penalty. Uh, there are young, young people who are very active in these very, very difficult issues, you know? So in that sense, yes, um, it's a better, in terms of activism itself, we have a better community of young people, um, better educated, knowledgeable, and articulate to challenge policies, yes. But on the other hand, you also have a government which has imposed uh, more limitations on activism. So it's the, it, uh, what, what is important is the ability of young people to negotiate around the, goals, the legislation which limits uh, freedom of expression. So that's the challenge. And are you hopeful in that challenge, uh, how, this, how the fight is playing out these days? Do you see hope in there? There's always hope when there are young people prepared to challenge. And there are young people prepared to challenge. I'm optimistic about that. Good to hear. Well, um, okay. <laughs> I, I guess uh, one thorny issue uh, that I often hear coming from Singapore, you know, the, the flip side to racial diversity is, of course, the emergence of racism. Um, how did you, as a, how did you navigate become, becoming an activist as uh, one, a woman, and to a uh, racial minority in Singapore? Well, which is why I am in activism. One of the spaces uh, uh, that suspends all these isms, racism, ageism, class, all that is the civil society. So you work for causes. So it doesn't matter. So you, you focus on the individual, not the race or the class, and, and which is the advantage also of working in a feminist organization because it is democratic, it's egalitarian. And uh, so that's where the values, you so, we hold the same values and um, where I have been the happiest. You know, I, being, uh, being a minority, didn't I didn't meet with any problems within civil society activism or in public space. Because public space too, people recognize you're not as Indian or as women, but 
as somebody who is fighting for a better Singapore. So truly, you are a citizen of a country, you know, not, not identified as race. Of course, people outside minority races, minority groups do have problems, mm. you know, and they too are now, there is a lot of civil society activism among minority groups. The people who call themselves brown groups and, uh, and they're also speaking up. So there is, there are more issues coming out of civil society now, you know, addressing the racism, addressing racism is a very recent phenomenon. People were not brave enough to do that. But in the last 10 years, maybe, or less than 10 years, somebody started speaking up. And so it inspired and empowered others to speak up. So now we have groups organizing themselves to uh, challenge racism, which is a good thing, you know. So and it's uh, come slowly but surely then, would you say? Yes, yes, that's right. And one of the things I discovered, and I know people say, oh, you all do so much work, what? What do you find? What difference does it make? And you can't, can't see the difference when you're th in the thick of it. So when I wrote the book and I was looking back at the history, you could see how much we have changed, you know, in terms of culture and attitudes. So that is improvement, but you can't see it when you are actually working on it, but you can see it after <laughs> if you look back. So I think that's a nice segue to um, our next question. So your 2013 memoir, uh, From Where I Was, a memoir from the margins, was updated this year. Uh, why did you feel the need to retell your story and update it? Actually, at the urgings of lots of friends, for one. And two, a new generation of civil society activists, a new generation of people don't know the history. And for me, it was important that we write alternative histories. You don't just want one perspective of our lives in Singapore. You want many perspectives. You want an ordinary person's perspective of what kind of life we lead in under the government. Under, because we have had the same party over 50 odd years. So it cannot be just their story, you know, it has to be our story. So that was one, one part of my objective. Secondly, I also wanted young people to know the history. See, in order to understand who we are now, how we behave now, the kind of people we are now, the culture, the attitudes we are now, we have to understand the history of what made us what we are today. So I wanted young people to understand that history, understand how we became who we are. So that was the point of that book. It is addressing, it is essentially meant for younger readers. So yeah, is that is that then why you the the reissue, I suppose, is named a memoir about forgetting and remembering? Yes, it is. It is. That's the reason, yes. Yeah. We forget at our at our peril. <laughs> that's it is very, very nicely put. Oh, that's very universal. Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, Southeast Asia, 50 years ago, the Southeast Asia we knew and interacted with is different Southeast Asia. Now, young people don't seem to be to understand the Southeast Asian history. That's another history I would like to write. <laughs> connections, you know. Watch out for that. <laughs> Our connections, that's that's important, yeah. So yeah, I guess it's pretty well documented that you entered the activism world in your 40s, uh, is that correct? Yes, 40s, um, yeah. Okay, so as you said, people uh, nowadays, activists are getting younger and younger, but that, that is also true in terms of uh, in other walks of life, where it seems like young people these days are always in an endless rush, you know, to chase success and whatever it is thereafter. I mean, you are a testimony to that, that that doesn't have to be the case. You can make a difference even in, in your old age, um, that ageism should not be an issue. So what would you say to so the so-called young people who are in the so-called rush in life? You know, uh, we go through different phases in our lives. Young people who had come out of university or are in university in the early 20s 
are very empowered, very enthusiastic, very interested in, in uh, human rights issues or local issues, whatever issues, you know, pol politics. But then settle, they settle down to work. And I can say in Singapore, uh, I can talk about it in the context of Singapore, is that our government is the biggest employer. Mm. And that inhibits, once you enter employment, inhibits people from becoming active. And so, and then of course you have the phase when you enter, um, enter jobs and then you started forming relationships, then you have families. So all those stages keeps you very preoccupied with your own individual lives and your family life. Then you get to older period when your children have grown up, when you have established yourself and um, you don't longer have to worry about bread and butter issues. That's when you rejoin activism. In fact, a study about feminism uh, found that women become feminists in their 40s and 50s. Interesting. That's the time. That's the time when the children would have grown up and they, there are less demands. And that's the time when you reflect on your life and you realize, really, the world has been unfairly <laughs> burdened. have been unfairly burdened. And um, so, yeah, you become an activist. I mean, I became an activist after my husband died and I discovered being a woman alone is very difficult, mm. you know? Mm. And I guess that insight does make a lot of sense because at that point, women would have had those lived experiences, like you mentioned, those difficulties, like the yeah. burdens, they would have experienced that for themselves. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, so you've been, uh, you started when you were 40, but you know, you've, you've, you haven't stopped in the activist space since then. What does a day in your life look like today? <laughs> Well, I have stopped, you know. Now I'm, a, I'm an individual in my own right, not responsible to any organization, so I can speak for myself. So everything I do now, it is in the service of civil society activism. You know, whether it's my books that I have written and even the children's books that I have written, it's all in the service. I mean, it's trying to promote a value system uh, and um, so whatever I do now, but of course, my life is a lot easier now. I don't have responsibilities except to myself. So my day is very, very easy. I get up late, have my cup of coffee, leisurely cup of coffee and uh, read and write. I mean, I have been pretty busy with the launch of the new book. And uh, other than that, it's a good life. It's a good life. I have lots of young people who come to me and they want to know about civil society activism. I feel very, very privileged that way. I'm privileged because I also feel privileged and honored because these young people approaches me. I mean, in my old age, I have young people approaching me, asking me about civil society activism, how to organize themselves. Uh, so it's a good life. It's a good life. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I hope you can you continue to inspire us young people um, <laughs> because we sometimes it's pretty apparent that we need it. Uh, we need reminding oh, no. us of, of the values yeah, yeah. that matter. It, it is hard work, you know, being in civil yeah. society. It is hard work. And very often you get burned out because uh, the resources available to you are so limited, you know. And um, so it is easy to give up. It is easy to give up and it is a struggle. But if you believe in a cause and you have a community, and that's important, you have a community who believe in the same cause. You support each other and you inspire each other and you empower each other. And that's very important. And I think for me, that has been an important part of, um, of my life and any successes I've had is a community. Thank you so much, Constance Singham, beautifully said. Yeah. Uh, where can we find your book? Is it available just in Singapore or uh, can we um, grab it? Well, mm, no, that's the thing about books. You know, they don't seem to travel very far. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a digital version of it and read it on my Kindle. It, yeah, yes, it, it is available. Um, 
a digital version, Ethos, E-T-H-O-S, Ethos Publishing. They are the ones. But I'm told that it's available in most of the bookshops in Singapore. It's wonderful. Right. Thank you so much for this wonderful chat. And um, thank you. you Inspiring people. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet both of you. Do you come to Singapore now? Nobody travels anywhere with this pandemic. Soon. Yeah. We will will travel soon. Uh, Yeah. Singapore is on my list. Okay. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. Okay, wow, what a lovely woman Constance Singham was. I gotta I gotta confess though, like before going to this interview, I was pretty nervous just because of what she represents, you know, for us for the activism space in Singapore and exactly. beyond. But it was and so what she's refreshing achieved. to see. Yeah, Absolutely. such a humble, such a humble person despite all that she has achieved. And I hope she continues to inspire people everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. She was such a delight. You know, she was so lovely to have at the show. And I'm glad we got the opportunity to talk to her. And with that, guys, thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Same time. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a Coco Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership. Make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron or buy our fresh merch at the coconut shop at shop.coconuts.co. Advertise with our in-house agency Grow. Fast, funny, digital. Join forces with us to slay buzzwords, rise above the noise, and sow the seeds of something great. Get in touch via coconuts.co slash grow. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by our journalists on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small, designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Sam Beltran and Andre Nazri. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Paul Medina. <laughs>